Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author, and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics, and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place, even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. Deborah Rosati, changemaker, champion, and advocate. She's the founder of Women Get On Board. Deborah, welcome. Thank you, Janice. So fearless by definition is not afraid, or at least it's about being bold. What's the last thing you've done, Deborah, that has really like scared you? Well, that is a great question. Um, I think most days I scare, I get scared because it's taking on new challenges. But I think for me, the most sort of formidable kind of stepping really out of my comfort zone was about two years ago when I was asked to join a cannabis board. So as we know, cannabis has, you know, been emerging and legalized in the fall time, but a lot of unknown. And the company was just going public. The company was called MedRelief. So I had to really dig into my soul to say, was it the right time? Could I add value? What was I thinking? Why am I doing it? And once I made the decision to move forward, I never looked back. Uh, but going through the process was um, was scary. Was I making the right decision? Um, you know, and it wasn't, it, it was fearless in the sense of it was an industry that was emerging. A lot of people had views from a values perspective and a risk. And uh, I really dug deep into my own due diligence and understanding of, of it from a business opportunity. So I'd say that was kind of one of the biggest things I did that was really going outside my comfort zone and really trying to dig deep to say, did it align with where I was? Could I bring value? And I've never looked back. And also with a new and, as you've indicated, emerging industry, it's also hard to turn and find other people who've been there and done that before to kind of seek that wise counsel. So who did you turn to or how did you kind of get those other opinions that helped you make that big decision? Uh, well, I had some really good advisors around me uh, from, in particular, uh, legal advisors, people I knew in the industry that were following it and really had said to me, you know, that's a great opportunity. I really think you should explore it. I had a confidant who is my board guru in life and really talked through it with her to say, what does it mean? What's the impact? What's it going to mean with my other board opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, I, I can make all the assessment. I have financial expertise. I know how to analyze financials. I can read the, you know, from a business perspective, I could see the opportunity, but it was really kind of getting around the value piece of it at that time. And once I went beyond that and I felt that it was the right decision for me at that time, um, but I did have to dig deep. <laughs> it was a soulful search going deep into my soul and saying it was beyond any other board opportunity because it was so emerging and it wasn't mainstream. And I was getting a lot of women that I was reaching out to because I wasn't going to take the opportunity. And a lot of them were, hey, it's not mainstream. It doesn't align with my values. And so I just kept going deeper. And then the opportunity came up and the timing. And it was one of those, either I do it or I don't do it. And it was, you know, I, I certainly didn't look back. A way to go for it. Yeah. 
and really cutting edge, right? To be, I think this is super exciting when we think about here you are doing this amazing women get on board, and we're going to talk more about that. But you know, you you had to say, woman, get on board <laughs> yourself. Well, I did for my own self, for my own self, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, is there, uh, you know, so we know you you turn to some trusted advisors, and I think that's amazing uh, practical advice for anybody uh, listening that you really do need those wise counsel that that the experts around you that they know you and they also uh, will challenge your thinking and and listen when these opportunities come up. But is there something you do to kind of bolster your confidence when you're faced with these unique opportunities? Well, I think it started at a young age, and I know you have a question about my my young self, but I always had a family. My parents were always, do your best, and so my best is my best, and my best is going to be different than your best. So if I can always say it was the best that I could do based on circumstances or otherwise, then I can hold my head up high. So I think going and approaching new opportunities or challenges and saying, you know, I've done my best or I've... I will always strive to do my best. Um, always, it puts me in a place to know that I'm not going to get 100% perfection, but I'm going to do my best at whatever that might be. And it keeps you in a category of one. You're just competing with yourself. Oh, yeah. Like my best is different than your best, right? Yes. And the person beside me. So if I can always feel comfortable that I come back to that, um, always do your best. And while doing your best, have fun doing that. Mm-hmm. So important. So Tell us about the 10-year-old Deborah, or was she known then as Debbie? <laughs> um, I think you have a sister named Deborah or Debbie, do you not? <laughs> I have a sister named Deborah, right? absolutely, you bet. <laughs> yes, it was Debbie. Yes, it was Debbie, um, but born uh, officially as Deborah. And then I think I grew into being more of a Deborah later in my years, thinking it was more mature and more becoming on me at that stage of my life. But the younger me was always fearless. Um, example would be maybe not when I was 10, but when I was younger, I had a brother who was two years older than me and he didn't want to go to kindergarten or grade one. And I stepped in and said to him, I'll go for you. Um, <laughs> I, I he was two years older than me. So my mom always tells me, so younger self was, I was always right up there. I'll do it. It didn't have, you know, of course I had fear, but I always would put my hand up. My brother didn't swim first. I swam first. So I just sort of always kind of grew up and put my hand up and, you know, strived and, and pushed myself out of my comfort zone. But I think the young at a young age, it was my brother didn't want to go to kindergarten and I was going to go for him and I was two years younger than him. Yeah, just ready to take on the world. Well, at, at whatever age that was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that has probably been how you've been your whole life up until this point. I mean, you're you're just, you are a change maker, you are a champion and you're an advocate and you've had such an interesting career in tech and on board. So can you take us back maybe to the start of your career and, you know, kind of get, set the scene? Where did you get your start and what pushed you into tech and you put your hand up oh, are- <laughs> early, right? <laughs> oh, good questions. Um, yeah, I guess being a change agent and being a frontier. So for me, I grew up, my dad was a businessman and I always wanted to be a businessman. And so for me, my means to being a businessman was, you know, getting my business degree and I ended up articling as a chartered accountant and came out as a chartered accountant, which is now a CPA. So I thought that was my means to end to being a businessman. 
And then I was in public accounting, um, moved to Ottawa, and trust me, at that time in the mid-80s, life was more than municipal audits and credit union audits and not-for-profits. So I forayed into my first job out of public accounting, and it was Cognos. And they had just gone public in the U.S., and my job was to define their SEC public um, company reporting requirements and define all their accounting for software development costs. It was very technical, but that was in 87. I left public accounting and went into technology and the opportunity, one opportunity led to the next opportunity in technology. But um, it was just, it was a calling. And it was, at that time, it wasn't, I mean, Ottawa really wasn't on the map necessarily as a tech hub as sort of Silicon Valley North at the time. It's real pioneering though, to go from yeah, accounting into tech and especially at a time when I'm sure you looked on either side and there weren't a lot of women following that path. No, there wasn't. And at most times I was, you know, I think once you leave your profession, you were the only sort of professional necessarily, depending on where you went to. It's a lot of tech guys and engineers and you were the business controller slash CFO. So, you know, I always kind of came back to my first principles from a business perspective and what made sense why I was always fascinated with business and strategy. So I could bring those disciplines and processes around the table to help com- to guide companies through their growth. And technology was just a, a really open uh, opportunity in Ottawa at the time. So one opportunity led to the next, to the next, to, you know, 15 years later, going right in from, you know, controllership to CFO to venture capital to on my own, serving on technology private company boards at the time. So just one opportunity led to the next. And I never, I sort of always just put my hand up. And did I have 100% of the skill sets? No, but I had 100% grit and determination. Yeah. And do we ever have 100%? <laughs> you know, I don't know, because things are always changing. Uh, tell me this, though. You mentioned your dad and this big desire to be a businessman just like him. Was uh, business discussed around the dining room table at, at night? Like, it, was that sort of uh, yeah, a common well, thing? I had, yeah, well, I had started delivering newspapers when I was 10 years old. My dad was in the newspaper industry and summer jobs, anytime I could, any kind I could make some money at my dad's job, whether I was in circulation, running ads for him, writing, doing the Fort Erie racetrack results. My dad always found jobs for me. And so I kind of grew up knowing, and he was a man of the community. And so that's just what I grew up with. And so I didn't think otherwise. I just thought that I wanted to be like him. Yes. And did you find less, those early lessons, did they come in handy as you sat in some of these uh, incredibly and continue to sit in some of these incredibly big roles? Yeah, well, I think it was one of those things that my dad didn't see me that, oh, I was a girl and I should do this. He just saw that I, you know, was keen and interested and um, I just, you know, um, learned along the way. And so just be having sponsors, having mentors that believed in you as an individual not because of a gender or otherwise, but believed in you and gave you those opportunities. And some of those opportunities, you fell down and you learned along the way what not to do next time. But having those, <laughs> right. having those kind of, those people, those champions that believed in you. Mm-hmm. And so mentorship has been important in your career? Yeah. And I think, you know, there's formal mentorship and then there's informal. And I would say that most of, interesting enough, most of my mentors or my sponsors or champions have been males. Because they 
I didn't go in and say, hi, I'm a woman, I need to be treated differently. I just happened to be in very unique situations where I would, you know, prove myself as a professional around the table and, and I just had doors open to me. So I would say through most of my career, most of my sponsors and champions have been men. And what about now? Are you able to spend any time in as a mentor to others? I have over the years, and as you know, and I don't know how many years in the running for WXN, you know, top 100 most powerful women, they have a great mentorship program, as you know. And I was named in that category for under the corporate director category in 2012. So after they always have every year this mentorship program, as you know, for the women that have been named in the top 100. And so I participated in that mentorship program for a couple of years prior to launching Women Get On Board. And so I had a couple of women, mid-level um, management roles where they were, so had the real opportunity in their sort of formal mentoring program. Um, and now I think with Women Get On Board, it isn't so much a formal mentoring, but by virtue of our mandate, which is to connect, promote, and empower women to corporate boards. I feel like I'm doing that at a, at a more universal level. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, talk about the journey from... Uh, being on boards to, you know, starting this and the vision. So we've heard what the goal is, but just talk a little bit about how you made this bold decision to really get in and make a a significant difference for women to get on board. Tell us about it. So it really came from many years of being one of the few women around the boardroom table, be it in technology sector, retail sector, consumer sector, even cannabis. Um, and I would be asked by women how I got on boards. And you know you're not unique and you know you're not the only woman. But um, so I would either have a coffee, you know, a lunch, a glass of wine. I'd speak at women in leadership conferences. And finally, I just created slides and I said, women, get on board. So it's not about just being on a board. It's like, get on, get on board. <laughs> yeah. Those opportunities are there, as you know. Mm-hmm. And so really, it was it was a time in my life where I had been serving on um, several public company boards and I, you know, I was getting to the stage where I've done a lot of not-for-profit boards and this was a higher calling for myself because, again, at the time, the OSC was just coming out with their complaint, explain, you know, diversity disclosure rules in 2015. So I, um, I didn't do it uh, in response to that. The timing actually coincided. But so I launched Women Get On Board four years ago and um, almost to the date. And it was really about bringing, creating this community of women and men that support adversity, um, diversity around the boardroom table and creating um, a community so women would be empowered and that opportunities, these men that if 85, 85% of boards are made up of men, these men need to now build out their networks and know that there's women like you and I and others that are qualified um, and, and providing that um that opportunity to make those connections. It's so important. And I know you, you, we just talked about how mentorship and champions and sponsors have been so important in your career. And I have spoken to so many women that are on boards and they have, it's always kind of come in that way that somebody says, Hey, you'd be perfect for this much like your cannabis example. Do you see that to be true as well? Oh yeah. For all of my board opportunities, they have come in through my nexus of whether it's accounting firms, partners that have seen me around the boardroom table, law firms, or other people that I've worked with have come in that way where they know you. And they might 
raise, hey, have you thought about this? And you might not have thought about it, but you know them, and so you'll explore it to see if it's the right fit or not. But it has, whether it was investment bankers, so all of the opportunities that I have that have come to me and any of the boards that I have served on have come through my, my network. It's the network. Absolutely. I'm on a private company board right now, and that came directly from somebody who thought about me from my network. And yeah. It, it's, so, uh, yeah. yeah, it's powerful. So uh, how are you measuring success? What does success look like for women get on board? I've been asked that question often, Janice. And, and what I would say is right now we have 450 members across Canada. So we, we've taken um, our events that we started in Toronto and now we're in Calgary, Vancouver, as you know, Ottawa, because you were just at our most recent one in Ottawa. And we've got a couple events this year in Halifax. So the the network across the country is critical, but the success to me on measurement is making the connection to corporate boards for our members. So last year we did six shortlist mandates with companies where they came to us and we work with them on their defining their skill set, their criteria for the board position. And then we went out and went to our network and we shortlisted candidates. And so we did six of those, of which all of them, some of them are still in market, but have been successful where they actually, one of them very successful, they had candidates, they were only going to pick one of them. And two of the women were phenomenal. They couldn't pick between the two. They said, we're going to pick both women. Um, so to me, that's success, one board at a time. And I know it's not going to change the numbers over time, but at least it's going to, and then these women get on these boards and I'm getting an opportunity right now for a woman that we had referred onto a board and now she, they're looking for new board members and she's, you know, turning to women, get on board and saying, okay, who's in the network? So um, the more of these board um, placements or board mandates that we get, um, the more our network builds and, and expands and we can be there for the next uh, board renewal. I actually find it to be particularly meaningful to do it one board at a time because um, it's real change. And then we have these amazing women that are stand up and are, you know, this shining example for everybody else to see, hey, I can follow that path. And I know that you, um, I had mentioned to you that a long time ago, you know, as long as 1992, yeah. <laughs> a very long time ago, I, my first graduate degree is in Canadian studies and I wrote my thesis about women on boards. And, um, you know, change has definitely been slow, but, you know, and, and I'm asked a lot, how do you feel about that? You know, to, to go from 1992 to think the problem is solved because you wrote the book and to be now, but I'm very encouraged by what I'm seeing. And I think organizations like yours that are so focused on creating that network, but then also having these really powerful events that are like focused on, hey, this is uh, uncovering more information that you need to be successful and to get on board is to me very encouraging. What's your feeling? Well, I think we're eternal optimists, you and I. <laughs> True. <laughs> I think you, we've yin and yang in different ways. And I am, I am optimistic about it because if there's events and organizations to help empower women to step up and believe in themselves and, and not sort of to talk themselves down or talk themselves out of that, um, the more we can showcase 
women that have been successful, whether it's their first private company board, first public company board, whether it's a not-for-profit, whether it's a crown corporation, we are, we're leading by example. And the more women that we can showcase that are leading by example, the more we'll get other women stepping up. And by virtue of bringing these women that are very qualified around the table, the, you know, you know, 85% of boards corporate Canada are made up of men, then you're going to more men will start saying, hey, you know what, maybe we should be extending our network. It is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's also the business case is well made for women on boards. I mean, yeah, yeah, the research is solid. The outcomes are impressive. So smart companies are doing it. And, you know, you've highlighted a few examples of where those boards are realizing this is a competitive advantage for us to have diversity around the table. So I guess that's why I am uh, eternally optimistic. So I am encouraged, Mm -hmm. like you, even though the numbers might not, but there are there are some good data points along the way, and there are examples. And I've been saying my most recent blog was about board diversity. Are you an agent of change? And we all can be agents of change if we're not if we're not waiting for regulators to force it upon us. And I think we all can do our we we all can make change in in the way that is meaningful for you know for the companies that we're uh, involved in. Yeah, absolutely. We do need change, but and it is coming. It is slow, but nevertheless, um, I, I remain I remain hopeful. And it's work like what you are doing that actually is is truly creating the change. So you have to keep at it, Deborah. We're counting on you. <laughs> well, let's put it this way: it's a community out there. It's uh, you know. It, we, we as women and men can champion and uh, one board at a time is really how we'll, we'll move it forward, even though it may not seem like it's, um, you know, at a fast pace. But I think there's a lot more uh, awareness than there was, you know, back in 1992 when you were doing your study. Yes. So there's a lot of research that links at both both anecdotally, but actual then just like a lot of research that links uh, women CEOs with competitive sports in high school and university. And you've had the opportunity to be uh, around boardroom tables in big and small companies. Do you think this is true? And is it true of yourself? Were you an athlete in your early days? I know you continue to be very active. Well, if you could say graduating from grade 13 back in the day, winning Athlete of the Year award, then yeah, I would say I was very athletic. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> it was pretty much a measurement of uh, of my grade 13 of my high school. I competed in all all different sports, and that's what I think that level of confidence and leadership and team building, um, and you know, being committed um, and you know, extracurricular activity beyond just your studies. And so, yeah, sports was what I grew up with, um, and you know, to this day, I may not be as active as I was when growing up, but I think it is. Uh, it's for me, uh, it creates this fearlessness. I used to play tennis with my brother. I used to play basketball with my brother. I sort of grew up was like, hey, go in the goalie because my sister is going to play. Um, so it wasn't that I was a tomboy, but I just grew around. I grew up with sports around me and just gave me that confidence that, you know, <laughs> I could be equal like anyone else around the table. Yeah. And I, I think, too, it's exciting because it's about really challenging yourself to see how far you can take it. You know, just to push yeah, and you push do, yourself. and you do have to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, I have a final question for you. But before that, what's what's a little known tip or trick that can make a difference? What's what's Deborah's like secret advice for women who want to get on a board? <laughs> what's the special sauce? Um, we need to hear it. Give us the scoop. You know what? It's it's 
I, I was just, you go outside your comfort zone. Don't stick to what is comfortable. Go outside that comfort zone and really know your value proposition and know what you can bring to uh, a boardroom table and then tell your network. It's not going to find you. You have to let others know what you're looking for. So I think being very articulate on your value proposition of what you bring to a board, it's very much like your elevator pitch. And then go outside your comfort zone. Just, you know, you might, like for me, going the cannabis industry, was I an expert in that? No, but I've been in a lot of other industries and I, you know, business is my, my passion and I love business. So really pursuing a new industry was very exciting for me. And so I don't think we have to be defined by our past, more or less. What can you take from your past and, and evolve into something that's unique and evolving? So being crystal clear about what it is that the, that value you're going to bring. And then I think the other thing that's really powerful is you have to let people know that's what you want. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right? you can't. Like can't I get a lot a of women. <laughs> yeah, well, I get a lot of women saying, well, I want to be on a board. But so, Dennis, what does that look like for you? And, you know, you have to be articulate to say, well, you know, in my case, I have financial expertise governance expertise, and I've been in emerging transformational companies and technology, consumer retail, and most recently cannabis. And so, you know, I sort of paint the picture and it's amazing. A lot of women will just say, I want to be on a board, but that's not, you know, people, you, you have to, you, that makes people work for it as opposed to, you know, articulating it. So people will just remember that, right? You gave just such a perfect example of the value you, that you're adding. And I think that is can be crystal clear for other people. Copy how Deborah just did that and then tell, <laughs> tell your network. So final question, Deborah, what's your dream for Canada? Ooh, that's a big one. Um, I have granddaughters. So I think what I would love to see for Canada to be a global leader in diversity and inclusion in environmental sustainable governance so that we can be on the global stage and, and lead as examples. I think there's a lot of smart, talented people that are in Canada, and I think we can be global leaders. We already are a G7 country leading from a regulatory perspective on cannabis. So there's areas that we can lead more on from an innovation perspective. But I think that diversity and inclusion, I think we can be a global leader if we step up and, and showcase those companies that are leading in that space. Beautiful vision for Canada, Deborah. It's been such a delight to have you on the Fearless Women podcast today. Deborah Rosati, changemaker, champion, advocate, and she's the founder of Women Get On Board. Deborah, thank you so much. Thank you, Janice. Thanks for listening. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app and follow us on Instagram at Fearless Women Podcast. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca women.